Well, good morning and greetings to each of you in Jesus' name this morning. Were you listening as we sang? Were you listening to the words? That is a familiar song. We know that song. The emblem of suffering and shame. Someone asked me some time ago, why does your religion use the cross for its symbol? You know, the cross, as we know what it is, is an emblem of death, of suffering. The cross is a horrible thing. It was a horrible way to die. It was so horrible that eventually the Romans outlawed it, its use for capital punishment. Why does Christianity use the cross as its symbol? What is the cross to Christianity? Is it something to hang around our neck? Is it something to put on a bumper sticker? What is the cross? Verse 2 says that in that song, says it's despised by the world. Verse 3, that there's shame and reproach involved. Verse 4, that is stained with blood. Those are not things that we are naturally drawn to. Shame and reproach. Pain, suffering. They are not things that we are drawn to. title of the message this morning is The Call of the Cross. If you want to, you can turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. I want to start the message this morning with a story. An old man trudged slowly up the mountain. The burden he, seemed, the burden he carried seemed to grow heavier with every step. Glancing up, he saw that he had nearly reached the summit. His heart nearly failed him. This mountaintop experience was one he wished he had, that had never come his way. This had been a difficult journey, a painful journey, not because of the traveling conditions, but because of the task that marked its end. Lost in thought, he suddenly realized that his traveling companion was speaking. Father, said the young man beside him, here is the wood and the fire, but where is the lamb for the offering? You know this story probably. It's a story of Abraham. I'm going to read it now from Genesis chapter 22, starting at verse 1 and reading through 18. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. 
And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to a place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Abraham, willing to sacrifice his son, willing to obey God, a father whose love was so great that he was willing to sacrifice his son for the object of that love. There's two fathers in the story. Look at verse 8. My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. You see the picture here that I want you to get is the picture of Abraham's prophetic message about the father providing a son as an offering for the object of his love. Jesus said in John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. The call of the cross. What is the cross to me? And what is it to you this morning? What is the cross of Jesus Christ? Though we know that the cross is an emblem of shame and pain and suffering and death, Jesus voluntarily chose to go to the cross. In John 10, 17, it says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. 
This commandment have I received of my Father. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. I'm sorry, I shifted Matthew 26 without letting you know that, didn't I? My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So Jesus was voluntarily choosing to go to the cross. He was laying down his life voluntarily. He said, no man takes it from me. I lay it down. What does the Christian see in the cross? In that song we sang, the old rugged cross, it says it has a wondrous attraction to me. What does the Christian see? It sees the love of God in the cross. He sees the love of God. Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth His love toward us. The Father is commending His love. He's, he's showing us how great His love is for us through the cross. That in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were the object of the Father's love. And He sent His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.16 What else do we see? We sang about this too. Forgiveness and redemption. Colossians 1.14 In whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 1.18 For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We love the cross because it's a symbol of suffering love, symbol of God's love for us. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The picture of the cross, the what the cross stands for is suffering to the world. And that's foolishness to them, that that would be something that would be attractive. But for the Christian, it is attractive because we understand that through it, through the cross, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. The power of God is available to us through the cross of Jesus. I've asked Dave to lead us uh, from the church hymnal 123. Bye. Uh-huh. 
When I survey the wondrous cross, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Had you been there the day Jesus died? Had you been there at Calvary when the nails were driven into His hands and His feet? Had you been there to hear His words of forgiveness and to experience the darkness, to hear His cry, it is finished. The earthquake, the splitting of the rocks that made a Roman Officers say, truly, this was the Son of God. Can you picture that scene in your mind? Can you think about it? When you look at that picture in your mind, what do you see? You see three crosses, don't you? There's the cross of Jesus and there's two other crosses that are there. I bring up three crosses because the cross of Jesus is not the only cross the New Testament talks about. There's other crosses the New Testament talks about. The cross of Jesus is foremost. But Jesus said there is a cross for those who would follow me. And it's that cross that I'd like to focus on now. There's a billboard that says, real Christians obey Jesus' teaching. And there are people who call the number below on that billboard who do not like the message on that billboard. And who do you think that is? Who do you think doesn't like it? Who do you think does not like the idea that Christians obey Jesus' teachings? Well, it's not the atheist. He actually says that's what Christianity should be. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you should follow Him. You should do what He says. It's not the unbelievers. The unbelievers say, yeah, you know, Christians should follow Jesus. He calls them to follow Him. That's what they should do. If they know what the Bible says, they say yes. So who does have a problem with it? Unfortunately, many of the people that have a problem with that billboard are actually believers. They they think that it's some kind of legalistic gospel that is being taught. But Jesus taught a cross of obedience and He lived a cross of obedience, and He taught a cross of obedience.
The idea of three crosses on Calvary depicting other crosses in the New Testament isn't particularly a theological statement, but it's a it's just something for you to remember when you think about drawing near to the cross of Jesus. There's a song, another song that has been very powerful in my life. It says, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And you know, that's a familiar, that's a familiar song to a lot of us. But I've often thought about what does it mean to be near the cross of Jesus? And what does it mean for me? to follow Jesus. You see, the cross of the gospel is not simply a cross for Jesus. It's a cross for me. He calls me to a cross. I'd like to look at it this way. The cross of Jesus is what we'll call cross number one. And cross number two we'll call, we'll call the, the thief who rejected Jesus. There's a thief who rejected Jesus on the cross there beside him. And then there was number three, a thief who accepted Jesus. We already looked at the cross of Jesus, so let's think about cross number two, the thief who rejected Jesus. You know, he rejected Jesus and he had no promise beyond that cross. He had no future beyond that cross. Jesus had no words for him. He was going to die. The other thief said, we're in the same condemnation. Uh, We're dying. His was a permanent death. I'd like to compare that to the death of the old man in Romans chapter 6, where Paul's laying out what happens when we're born again, when we become believers in Jesus Christ. He says this in verse 6, "...knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead..." is freed from sin. The New Testament teaches that conversion is a change of life. There must be a giving up of my life to experience the life that God has for me. And Paul uses crucifixion as a description of what that is. The old man is crucified with him. That life that was before The Old Testament depicts it through the Passover. There was a sacrificial lamb that was slain and his blood was to be placed on the door of the house so that death would not come to that house. That saved them from death, but for them to experience freedom, they had to leave their life in Egypt. They could not stay in Egypt. There had to be a rejection of the life that they were experiencing in Egypt for them to be free of Egypt. We are by birth the servants of the world system. If we want to experience salvation from our bondage to sin, we have to completely give up completely lay aside, completely crucify the old life so that we can live a life that is free, to be free. You know, when, uh, when Dana and I were dating and uh, 
I wanted to ask her to marry me, or I did ask her to marry me, and she said yes. But she said, I like my family, and I like where I live, and so I'll come see you when it's convenient. And I said no. No, that didn't really happen, but we smile at that idea because we realized that I was not looking for that kind of a commitment. When I asked her to marry me, I was asking for her to come and be with me, to live with me, to be my companion. Christ, Jesus, is calling a bride out of this world. He wants a complete commitment. He doesn't want us to hang on to the life that we had before and only give partial, partially to Him. He wants His bride to be fully committed to Him. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked Him how to become part of the kingdom of God, Jesus put His finger on the area of life that the young man was not willing to give up. You see, we have to be able to to give up everything. We have to be willing to let go of everything to be a disciple of Jesus. It demands my soul, my life, my all. Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, and children, and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth, whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus means giving everything to him. Complete commitment to him. New Testament conversion is giving my life for his life so that I can have his life, the life he offers. Is this where the cross ends? For the Christian, at conversion, let's go on to cross number three, the cross that accepted, the the thief who accepted Jesus. He died in his flesh, but Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He offered him a life in the spirit after his death in the flesh. Paul goes on in in Romans, he he lays out in chapter six, the, the... conversion. And then he talks about the law in chapter 7 and how it relates to to that. And then he goes on in chapter 8 to talk about the, the life of the Christian, the Christian experience. And he says this, Romans chapter 8, verse 9, but ye, speaking to the Christians, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. 
Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify, and that means put to death, if you mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So it's saying that that spiritual life that we receive at conversion, if we turn back to the ways that we lived before, that will, be, that will lead to our death. That will lead to our spiritual death. But if through God's Spirit dwelling in us, we put aside or put away those deeds, we shall live. The Christian needs to voluntarily, remember Jesus voluntarily came to the cross. The Christian needs to voluntarily come to the cross to crucify his flesh on an ongoing basis. In Luke 14, verse 27, Jesus said, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's an ongoing cross-bearing that happens in the life of the Christian. In Luke 9.22, he says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the priests and the scribes and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. You see, that thief on the cross was dying. He, there was an end to his physical life. And we are all dying. And if we try to save that life, if we try to keep control of that life, instead of giving it up to Him and letting Him take control, we're going to miss out on real life, spiritual life. You see, the children of Israel on their journey through the wilderness, after they were freed from Egypt, they were going through the wilderness and they became discouraged and they spoke out against Moses and against God and they said, you've brought us out here to die. We wish that we were back in Egypt. You brought us out here to die. We wish we were back there. In their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, the New Testament says. And God sent serpents. There were serpents that bit them and that those serpents were poisonous and people began to die as a result of their sin. And Moses, the people cried out to God and, for help. And God told Moses to build a brass serpent and set it on a pole. And those who looked on that serpent in faith, or those who looked at that uh, pole in faith, and that's what Jesus was quoting when He said, "If I and I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto Me. Saying that look of faith healed them from the bite of the serpent. In the same way, we sin. We fail. And we must look back to Jesus. We look, must look back to Him. But can we turn back to Egypt to be free? No. We must go on. We must go on with the journey. We must put aside our flesh and take up the cross and follow Him if we would be His disciples. Colossians 3, verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. For ye are dead, 
Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Renewed in knowledge by a new creation of God. Through death to the flesh, we experience life in the Spirit. Let's look at it from just a little bit different angle. When Jesus was looking ahead to the cross, He said this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, for this cause... But for this cause came I into this hour. Jesus is saying that he was troubled. As he looked ahead at the cross, he saw the pain, he saw the suffering, he knew that it was coming. And in his humanity, he said, Father, save me from this hour. But in his divinity, in his spirit, he said, for this cause came I to this hour. There was purpose. He knew there was purpose in the cross. Now listen to this verse. Speaking to the Christian, Romans 12 verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? It is something that dies. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that she may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, the, the cross, the, the results of the cross were, the, were God's will, and Jesus knew that. In the same way, the cross for me and the cross for you as believers in Christ has a purpose to fulfill God's will. <clears throat> in 2 Peter 3, Verse 9, it says that God is long-suffering to usward, and He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You think about the sacrifice of His Son. Was that selfish? Was that a selfish sacrifice? Was that a selfish will? No. It was an unselfish will. It was a true expression of love. That is the God who calls us to surrender our selfish will to Him to fulfill His unselfish will for humanity. Ravi Zacharias says it this way, Jesus is not offering us a more ethical way to live. He's offering us a life we could never manufacture on our own. We cannot be Christian, be truly Christian by our own strength. It can only come through the surrender to the cross that we can live out the will of God. And that will is for our good, is an unselfish will.
I have two stories for you from my own life, and then I have a conclusion. The first story is the nail-pierced hand. I was facing sometime back a decision, and it was a very monumental, life-changing decision, and I had three options. Each one of those options was identical as far as how they looked from the external. But I wanted to do God's will because I knew that they had life-changing implications and I wanted to follow God's will no matter what. And my burden was, my heart was, how do I know which one to choose? How do I know which one is the right way? And I was meditating about this and, and God gave me a, a very clear picture in my mind. It was the picture of these three choices lined up. And on the side of one of those choices was a nail-pierced hand. And I immediately, immediately, my mind said, I will choose one of the other ones. But this, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, that would be going around the cross. And I had a decision to make. Was I going to take up the cross or was I not to follow Jesus? I determined in my heart to follow the cross. Praise the Lord. The second one comes from the story we read in Genesis chapter uh, 22. I had gotten involved in, in something that I really enjoyed. It was a line of work. And I just really enjoyed it. And the more I got involved, the more I realized how much of a pull it was starting to have on my life. It was starting to take more and more of my time. It was starting to take more and more of my energy and my thought capacity. And I started to realize that if I allowed this to, if I allowed myself to become too involved in this thing, that it was going to take me away from the direction that I wanted to have, even though it was a very legitimate thing, a very fine thing. So I started to to pray and I started to ask God, what do you want me to do with this? Do you want me to quit? Do you want me to quit this job? Because I really, I want to follow you. Deep down in my heart, I wanted to follow God with all my being. And yet, I also felt that God had led me into this. It was an opportunity that He had given me. So how do I decide? And I just... This, I started to wrestle with this thing and in my heart. I just, I just longed to come to peace about it. And one evening, I was rocking one of my sons and I was praying about this. And the burden was just on my heart. And God gave me another picture. It was a picture of Abraham with the knife raised to slay his son. And the message came just completely clear he said I want your love I don't want the sacrifice and I realized that what God wanted was my love and I said God I give you my love completely and complete peace filled my heart I've continued to be involved in that line of work but it hasn't had a grip on me the grip is gone Brothers and sisters this morning, God wants your love. God wants your love. 
so much that he was willing to sacrifice his son. And he wants you to be engaged in that relationship in a way that you are willing to sacrifice your most precious possessions, your most precious things to him. Just like a man wants his wife, his bride, to be fully committed to him, to leave her father and mother, and to come and be his companion completely. I have one more point from the story of Abraham in conclusion. Turn to the book of Hebrews to get that one. If you want to turn there, you can. It's Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to reflect back to a verse that I read at the beginning from Genesis. Here's what Abraham said when they reached the place where, or when they reached the point where Abraham looked ahead and saw what God had told him. He said to his servants, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Why did he say that? Why did he say if he truly had intentions to slay his son, why did he say that the him, he and the lad would return to the servants? The answer for that is here in the book of Hebrews. By faith Abraham in verse 17, chapter 11 verse 17, by faith Abraham when he was tried offered up Isaac and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son to whom it is said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Okay, so let's go back a little bit in the story of Abraham. Now God had promised that there would be, that Abraham would have a son through Sarah. And that son, and through that son, Abraham would have a tremendous seed. And Abraham believed the word of God. So Abraham said, if God has promised that this son is going to be the heir that will carry on my seed, then he is going to have to do what he says in verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. So Abraham went up that mountain with the belief that God was going to, that he was going to slay his son and that God was going to raise him from the dead. My point is this that as Christians, we believe that there is life beyond the cross. Beyond the cross, there is life. Do we believe the promise of God? He says, come, lay down your life, give it to me, and I will give you life. I will give you rest. I will give you peace for your soul. I will give you eternity but only through the cross is there resurrected power, is there resurrected life. Only through the cross. To reject either part, either God's part or man's part of the cross. To reject Jesus or to reject following Jesus. 
is to choose death instead of life. God has given each of us a choice. How will we respond to the call of the cross? Shall we have a song?